everyone, and welcome to Burley Fisher's Isolation Station, coming to you from the Burley Fisher basement. Happy Independent Bookshop Week 1 and all. Um, I am your host, Dan Fuller, and I'm joined today by Sam Fisher. Sam, what's going on? Not much. I'm just sitting next to you, actually, right now, <laughs> in, in physical space, in time, in contiguous time. A place for comfort. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm, I'm extremely comfortable. Um, how are you doing? I'm good. I am enjoying Independent Bookshop Week, uh, which I've only just discovered about. <laughs> um, but I'm pleased to be celebrating it. You're on the pulse as always. <laughs> I know that you don't like to take part in any festival that was uh, enacted beyond the 17th century. Oh, no, indeed. Indeed. Um, I thought tonight is my cut off. <laughs> Love a bit of anti-Catholicism. Is that because you're a Republican or because you're actually a secret royalist? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are celebrating Independent Bookshop Week, aren't we? This episode is in aid of that celebration. First time that we've uh, kind of taken notes and joined in. <laughs> uh, so we're here today speaking to Hannah Westerland, uh, publisher of Servant's Tale, who is who are, I suppose, a kind of spiritual sibling of Burley Fisher Books in, mm-hmm. uh, in their publishing. We've done loads of events with those with them, books uh, on their lists over the last five years, um, some really notable ones. Eric Kobeck, um, many others. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we've just been talking about publishing, what it means to be the publisher of Serpent's Tale, what their remit is, how they make uh, decisions on what they publish. And yeah, it's a really fantastic conversation, I think, a real insight into mm. one of the kind of leading lights of independent publishing yeah it's quite nice to kind of take a step back and get a bit of a different perspective on books as well because we've had a lot of authors uh, talk about their work which is obviously fantastic but it's, I which always... Dan hates <laughs> <laughs> upstand him <laughs> shut these authors up <laughs> writing books talking about them <laughs> um, I was trying to be sincere there <laughs> you almost pulled it off <laughs> you almost stuck the landing <laughs> Um, but yeah, we also we, we're we're doing lots of other things as well for Independent Bookshop Week. We're actually partnering with Serpent's Tale, so yeah, we're um, we've got an event with Carmen Maria Machado next Tuesday. Um, uh, so our very own So Maya will be interviewing her on YouTube. So it's free, it's totally free. Um, it's also a celebration of Pride Month. Go on our website, um, you can register for a free ticket. If you're listening after the fact, you can you can still watch the video on YouTube. Uh, so search Burley Books on YouTube. That's it. Yeah. All right, well, I'll pass it over to you guys then. Hello, Hannah. Thanks so much for joining us on Burley Fisher's Isolation Station for this special independent bookshop week edition. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be here. My pleasure. My pleasure. So we're here today to talk about... um, your role as publisher at Serpent's Tale, um, brilliant publisher who we are partnering with um, for Independent Bookshop Week. And I guess my first question, the, the, the obvious one is, um, how long have you been at Serpent's Tale and what, what drew you to the list? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've been at Serpent's Tale for coming up to a decade. I joined um, in spring 2012. And before that, I'd worked at um, Rogers College and White Literary Agency for 10 years so I've been there for quite a while now I sort of thought of myself as new for quite a long time but I'm definitely not new anymore um and 
the what drew me to Serpent's Tail, I guess, I mean, I always had a long admiration for the list and for the kind of identity that Serpent's Tail always had as being the sort of brave outsider of British publishing. And this was long, long before there were a lot, like now there are all kinds of brilliant new brave outsiders um, that have joined the publishing community. But at the time, Serpent's Tail was still a bit of an outrider. And that mm. kind of independence um not just as an independent publisher but kind of independent spirit really appealed to me um so when the job came up it was such an exciting prospect really to try and take on this list with an amazing um sort of legacy and think about how to guide it into the future and and stay true to what it had always been about but try and bring on a new generation of writers to sort of um continue the charge so um yeah so that's kind of what I've been trying to do since I've been there um hopefully with some success um it's certainly been a fun ride so far do you you remember the first Serpent's Tale book that you read that's kind of uh yeah I read that's a really good question um Mm. you know what I think it might have been the sexual life of Catherine M (laughs) which was I published in, I think, about 2002, 2003, and was a huge sensation, one of the most successful books ever, a French um, book, which Pete Ayrton had translated into English, and it was this huge phenomenon, very, very dark, shocking, um, brilliantly honest um, book about a woman's um, sex life and her um, adventures. Uh, and that really kind of shaped my sense of what Serpent's Tale was about for quite a long time. And then I realised, in fact, it was enormously diverse in the books that it published. And it was um, really dedicated to sort of world literature, as well as like all kinds of American writers that I sort of gradually discovered over time. But I think that was probably my gateway. Drug. Mm-hmm. And um. You've, so you've mentioned the sexual life of Catherine M and Serpent's Tale have also published Virginie Despont and I'm thinking also like yeah. republished Reynaldo Arenas, published Tori yeah. Pieces. But as you say, it's also a commitment to pushing the boundary in terms of world literature. So what makes a book a Serpent's Tale book? Like as a publisher, do you know immediately? Um, and how, how has that changed even over the time that you've been there? Yeah, I think it has I think it's both stayed the same and changed in a way. I like to think that we still are, that our books still feel a little bit different to what you would find in the mainstream, but perhaps they're not quite, they're not kind of, it's not as obvious the way in which they're different. So um, maybe Tori is a really good example in some ways. And obviously we've, um, Detransition Baby has been this kind of wonderful success this year which has been you know brilliant and a really sort of phenomenal thing for the author and for us but that book is really incredibly readable really quite commercial literary novel about women of very different walks of life trying to figure out a kind of core question that challenges you know most women at some point in their lives but because it's written by a trans woman and it's coming at that question from a really new angle it's radical and it and it changes the conversation, but it's not a book that is difficult for anybody to read. So I think, um, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that we're still trying to find books that challenge people and that, and that kind of um, break with sort of obvious traditions, but we're also always looking for books that can do that and can reach a really wide audience. 
Um, and I think that's the thing that I've been trying to do since I've been there is to really just kind of be really ambitious about who our audience are. So there are, we have a core audience who really love our world literature and our classics and are very willing to be challenged by difficult books. But we also, there's a whole world of readers out there ready to have their minds opened and I want to reach them. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that note about readability is um, really important. So I think about, for example, Attica Locke, who um, I was really had the amazing experience of doing an event with back at uh, Clark and Mile Tales, if I'm allowed to mention oh, another yeah. bookstore on this podcast. Uh, sure. And Serpent's Tale had put together like a Spotify playlist um, for uh, the book and the importance of like also expanding brilliant genre fiction and crime fiction, as you say, like reaching people where they read. Um, yeah. And I just wondered if you could say a bit more about that or about what what you what personally appeals to you what do you read when I'm looking for books and what do I read yeah Yeah. well um I mean we try we well we have we have sort of really about three or four people commissioning for the list mostly some part-time some full-time and um so we try we all have slightly different taste which is really important because we're all bringing slightly different things to the list so the list is 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 pretty varied but within our own commissioning tastes I suppose we have our kind of um focuses which are not always completely obvious to us I suppose but um my um my well one thing that is particularly striking about the books that I commission is that they're nearly always by women um which is not a was not certainly not a kind of explicit curatorial choice that I made when I joined Serpent's Tale, but I think um, there are just a lot of really in- interesting women writing out there, and I think that there are maybe more of them than men um, at the moment. And I think also that there's just sort of a bit more energy in women's writing, and and also I guess that I perhaps respond more readily to some of the writing um, from women so my own list is very heavily stacked with women with a few exemplary men I should add so kinds of writers that I'm drawn to I suppose are um, people that I think really sort of challenge me intellectually but also know how to tell a really good story but on my list we have um, Mary Gateskill for example Susan Choi the fantastic American writer who's just been shortlisted for the um, Sunday Times Short Story Award Sarah Perry, Essie Adujan. Um, so these are really, really formidable writers who, you know, have really, really interesting things to say about the world, but they also really know how to tell a good story and to take you along on a journey. Yeah, we're massive Essie Adujan fans. At oh, yeah. So like, shout out to the greatest octopus. We'd be, yeah, what's happening with Essie? Well, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. She's absolutely phenomenal and just such a huge privilege to publish her and she takes quite a long time to write her novels I think there was about a six or seven year gap between Half-Blood Blues and Washington Black so we were not expecting to have a new book from her for quite some time but then completely out of the blue a couple of months ago we heard from um, House of Anansi which is a small independent publisher in Canada that they are they're, um, so Essie is doing these things that 
this series, lecture series called the Massey Lectures in Canada mm -hmm. this autumn, which are kind of like the Reef Lectures here, you know, that are broadcast on radio for where they get leading public intellectuals to talk about, to give a series of five lectures on something interesting. And Essie's doing these in Canada in the autumn and, and we are turning them into a book which we will publish in the spring next year. Um, and the essays which I, I've read now are just absolutely superb. The book is called Out of the Sun. Um, and they are essays about, well, she the, the subtitle is on art, race and the future. So what she's looking at is sort of depictions of black people through culture and history, um, through Western art, through um, politics, through kind of some of the contemporary um, arguments of the day. But she's casting this incredibly careful novelist eye through all of her thinking and all of her examples. So where a lot of books on this subject um, in recent years would have a very sort of deep grounding in theory or in um, sort of activism or, you know, any of the other really sort of important trends that are going on at the moment. Essie's approach, intellectual approach, is the kind of careful novelist, thoughtful eye. And she also talks about her own experience growing up as a, the daughter of Ghanaian immigrants in Canada and what, you know, that experience was like and what the experience was like for her parents. So it's incredibly a uh, thoughtful, subtle book, but also incredibly powerful and original. It's just wonderful. It was just such a joyful moment when it hit my inbox because I really thought it was going to be ages before we had anything new from her. That sounds right up our street. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll send you an early copy as soon as we have them. It's coming out in February next year. Okay, February next year. You heard it here first on the isolation station <laughs> stay alive till february next year <laughs> yeah is is worth doing that for it sounds like yeah i mean i think uh that leads me on to another question which is um you know you, you worked with you worked with authors over a number of books um and kind of you know you have some great authors whose careers you've developed and you've got a massive backlist that are kind of both in and out of print and um your reissues i think are some of the some of the books that we enjoy most book selling is kind of that rediscovery of books that have perhaps been forgotten. Um, and I wondered what makes you to decide what to reissue um, yeah. and what, what books have remained evergreen and which books have kind of surprised you when they've come floated back to the surface through the backlist to the front list or. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good question. And you're right. We have got a massive backlist and at times it's quite overwhelming because when you look through it, you're just constantly discovering things that you didn't realize you had and oftentimes we'll go we'll kind of we'll remember something that we published and think that we want to republish it but there are often complications like you know our license might have expired or something or the author has died and there's a complication about whether or not we can continue so there are there's all kinds of like quite practical administrative challenges with keeping a complex backlist going and of course some books will sort of trickle away and the sales will dwindle to the point where it's really quite difficult to keep them going and others sort of carry on steadily and then others you get this huge bounce. We had a really interesting one this spring where all of a sudden um, a book called And the Band Played On, which was a sort of social history of the AIDS epidemic in um, some, how it sort of emerged and rose in San Francisco in the 80s, which by a writer called Randy Schiltz who died of AIDS sort of at the end of that kind of period. Um, which had been sort of languishing almost out of print for a long time. And then in the spring, the um, Channel 4 series, It's a Sin, was on TV. And um, it suddenly just leapt up the charts. And we suddenly realised people were finding it, remembering it and buying it. And maybe other people have been recommending it. 
So we reissued that in kind of five weeks flat, I think, with an amazing, beautiful new jacket. And, you know, in our classics series that I know that you guys um, sell in, in the shop. And um, so sometimes we're very reactive to, you know, things kind of come out of nowhere and we hadn't quite sort of put two and two together. And so we try and act as quickly as we can. And then other times we just, you know, we kind of look at something that's continued to tick over and think it's, you know, it's ready for a refresh. So we've had books, I mean, lots of our kind of evergreen classics like The um, the Piano Teacher or um, Pedro Paramo or The Walk, which I think gradually we, we sort of in, um, started that photographic classic series look about eight years ago. I think it was quite soon after I joined Serpent's Tale and we realised we had, didn't really have a fully coherent classics programme. I wouldn't say it's fully coherent now because we're always still trying to fit things in and work out what we can add and so on. But um, yeah, that, I think that photographic style has worked really well for us and we're really proud of it. Um, mm. And the other thing that we've been doing, which um, we sort of gradually been doing over the last few years is buying in things that weren't on our backlist and adding them to the classics. So um, we've, done, we've got an amazing book coming this summer um, by Hervé Guibert called To the Friend Who Did Not Save My Life, which we actually did publish years ago and then lost the rights because it had gone out of print for so long and then bought them back again in order to reissue it. And Semiotext have just republished it in, um, in America. Um, you know, Chris Krause is sort of micro publisher there. And um, we've got a new introduction by Maggie Nelson. And it, again, it's actually an AIDS story, but um, a very, it's a sort of classic of autofiction with a lot of high profile literary fans so um so yeah so we're always kind of looking for opportunities as well as mining I suppose um and what we re totally rely on for those books is bookseller support because they need to be out in shops and seen because they're not ever going to get a huge publicity campaign or very rarely you know unless there's some particular reason why they would they just need to be out there and for people to find them and talk about them and see them and so we're really grateful for booksellers um sort of championing them because that's really what makes the difference we should probably say on that note of Hervé Guibert and Randy Schultz and Tori Peters as well that one thing we're teaming yeah. up with Serpent's Tale this month to do is a Pride Month bookstall at Broadway Market which we're super excited about with Serpent's Tale titles and titles chosen by Serpent's Tale authors and we'll be partnering with Cypher who are a new queer press and so my question in a way winds back Hannah to something that you said a bit earlier about when Serpent's Tale started out they were you know kind of almost alone like out there with publishers like Grove mm. Press who were known mm. for challenging censorship um particularly around issues of sexuality particularly around LGBTQ issues and obviously mm. Serpent's Tale have have continued in that um really important tradition although now in a a publishing world where what you've done has made space for lots of other voices and you know as booksellers we're super excited about this we you know are queer positive booksellers we have big queer community um and we've really watched this shift from you know choosing books really carefully to there being so many titles we're excited to carry but also mm. watching it happen in this context you know of what's conversations about quote-unquote activist publishing quote-unquote cancel culture um and how these different forces are acting on publishing and from serpent's tales like long perspective i guess of dealing with censorship dealing with conservatism dealing with these questions like 
what what's your feeling about this? Where does Serpent's Tale sit with these questions around what should be published and what shouldn't, who should have to work on it and how? And and also what's at stake in this conversation? Oh, it's a big question and it's a really complicated one. I mean, for me, I, I think that, you know, we have always had a reputation for being really, you know, willing to push at boundaries and really championing voices from the margins and kind of putting them at, at the centre of what we do. In some ways, I would argue that that's kind of, we've been around for 35 years now. It's our 35th birthday this year. Um, in a way, that's so much at the core of our identity that it's not something that we, that we kind of, it, it sounds sort of casual to say it's not like it's that we don't think about it anymore. It's just that's who we are. And so we don't have we don't have to have conversations about does this book go too far? Is this book too risky? Is this book too difficult for pe- pe- conservative readers? You know, because we we kind of we've always trusted readers that they w- they want to have their eyes opened and they want to be taken to places that are not familiar to them. And I think that's been always absolutely core to our publishing. I personally really like books that are that, that that ask difficult questions and that don't make it that easy for the reader. And I think fiction is a space where you can do that in a way with a lot more freedom than you can in nonfiction. Because in nonfiction, you know, very often you're kind of making an argument. This is your argument. You're either with me or you're against me. In fiction, you can much more interestingly look at a question and a subject and say, well, here's the complexity and here's the, you know, here's what one person thinks and here's what another thinks. And, and it allows the reader in to think about it. So an example of that, the a book that I just absolutely adore and, and so proud that we published is Mary Gateskill's little novella, This Is Pleasure. Mm. And I, I bring it up as an example because we published that sort of at the tail end of a very intense Me Too year, for want of a better sort of label, and this is a novella that is really ambiguous about it's a novella about an older man who um you know is uh, loses his job after accusations of sort of sexual misconduct with young employees but it's narrated by his female friend and it's very ambiguous about where the blame lies on you know who did what and so on and i'm not especially interested in deciding where the blame lies I'm interested in the ambiguity that the writer brings to the different people's perspectives and trying to bring everybody's perspective in because that to me is where you get the most where you do the most interesting thinking which is a really roundabout way of saying I it's really complex and I what I always try to do is look at the look for the books that are thinking most deeply about the really difficult subjects and helping you to think deeply with them um and Mm -hmm. so that doesn't you know so that kind of is a way of saying i it i i you know i i don't we don't we don't sort of have like specific lines about what we would or wouldn't publish we we judge things on a book by book basis but we also welcome challenge and and sort of discomfort because i think that's you know one of the interesting spaces of literature great answer i think um thank you <laughs> yeah, trusting trusting readers with ambiguity is um yeah, yeah seems like a, a very good policy <laughs> i think it's it, it to flip it into book selling is a similar thing you know you uh, you have you have much more space but you still have a certain amount of space um yeah and I, I, we when we're choosing what to stock 
I think it's a twofold consideration because you do build your your customer base and your readership, but also yeah. you're responsive to that. Yeah, I think that's why we're so well aligned. And I know our book selling and publishing uh, yeah. uh, endeavors. Um, I, th- I think it's actually great to hear about this the idea of responsive publishing and book selling because obviously social media. Um, and what's happening to print media, like the balance of where feedback or reviews or responses is is coming from, um, both in terms of, you know, renewing backlist books and in terms of where next with publishing or new titles. How do you find that as a as a publisher? You know, because as booksellers, especially over the last year, we've spent a lot of our time on Twitter and Instagram. That's where to find things. Trying to understand, engaging with book bloggers, you know, do we need a bookstore TikTok? Um, Answers on a postcard to the podcast. Please God, no. Please God, no. The podcast is enough and a YouTube channel, obviously. But how how has that been? Because you've been at Serpent's Tale for 10 years. So that's sort of the the Instagram map, isn't it? And the massive explosion of online book bloggers. Yeah, I mean, I think the past year, the sort of pandemic was so even more than a year now, isn't it? But the challenge of uh, of sort of publishing our books and promoting our books and what that means was obviously changing profoundly before the pandemic. But I think the last year and a bit um, that our commercial team across publicity and marketing and sales have just had this absolutely like mammoth task of trying to get books our books out there into the world and into people's minds with so few of the the original levers that we were are usually available to us and that has meant that social media is even more important than it was before but it also kind of it it doesn't it doesn't kind of go all the way so at the same time that we're very reliant on that. We're also seeing review space in the in the sort of traditional media shrink and shrink and shrink. And what we generally find is that for a book to really succeed, it's kind of got to have a bit. It's got to have a bit of every camp of what usually makes a book work. So it's got to have bookseller support. It's got to have social media buzz. It's got to have traditional mainstream reviews. It's got to have some kind of broadcast. And that can as much be podcasts as Radio Four and stuff now. But like. If you, or it's got to have events in the, and those need to be in bookshops and festivals. And if you take away two or three of them and still only have the other two, you get a certain distance, but you don't get all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really been particularly hard for like new British writers who don't, who if they have a big, lively social media presence, then that's has made a huge difference in the last year. But if they haven't and they don't have kind of wave of momentum that coming from America that you get with American writers then it's really it's really hard to kind of break out into a sort of wider space because the kind of it's just you're not just not reaching that that many people and I think um I mean that that thing about American writers I think is really interesting because you know we publish a lot of American writers and we always sort of we're always kind of paying attention to the American scene really, really early and sort of seeing what we can see bubbling up, what people are talking about early, because that will usually give you an indication of whether something might break out there. And if it does and you get the noise coming from there, it's like an echo chamber, then it just jumps the Atlantic and it starts off here. It's usually a good sign that you can kind of make a, that a book will have a better chance of working. Anyway, that was a bit of a digression. but um... Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting, though, because I think 
it, it speaks to you know writers coming out of the UK. It is more difficult when you don't have that you know the kind yeah. of the massively multiplied market space or kind of yeah. social media space that exists yeah. in America yeah. as a kind of yeah British writers. I see this as a bookseller as well. They, it's very hard for them to compete because I think people like to back a winner, even in their reading. Yeah. It's a kind yeah. of bizarre, um, yeah. counterintuitive thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And how have you guys found like not having events? Because you, you're so good at running events and stuff. And I know you're sort of gradually creeping towards to, to getting back to how you did, but it, that, that's such a core part of how you. Yeah, I mean, it's these great events and stuff. Yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely been tough, but that's a very useful segue for us to advertise again our um, festival in October. (laughs) We Um, cannot wait to be back to safe, uh, welcoming live events. Uh, We're super excited that Serpent Tail are one of our partners on BF Day Twenty One, celebrating our fifth birthday at um, St Peter's de Beauvoir Square with uh, events really on a scale that we haven't done before at Burley Fisher. Like, we're going to have about 30 readers over the weekend. We're going to have some family workshops. Um, It's so exciting. (laughs) Um, And online events are great because we can reach people in the US and people for whom the shop is physically challenging to get to or to get into or just bigger numbers and there will be an online component to our in-person event as well we're not cutting that audience off um at all but yeah we cannot wait to be back with readers and writers definitely i think we were you know at the beginning of before everything happened last year we were very kind of avowedly bricks and mortar and we kind of really didn't have a website. It was, you know, basically yeah. a WordPress form and um, and that had to change very fast because, you know, the, the kind of community outreach and kind of community development stuff that is why we do it, what's interesting to us was, yeah. you know, was just impossible without those things in place. Um, so I think as we've adapted, it's been really helpful when publishers have done so as well. I mean... Shout out to Flora. She's been really great, you know, and publishers who like make an effort to engage with independent bookshops. The yeah. Generally, the much smaller ones, are, you know, Cypher Press, for example, Influx Press, yeah. all of those people that, that, uh, that do the work to kind of connect to the communities that bookshops can provide really yeah. make it so much easier for us. And um, yeah. yeah, so we're really grateful, grateful for that as well. 100%. Um, yeah. And shout out to flora on being celebrated for her campaign for detransition baby i know well she yeah i mean she especially drew who's the publicist drew jerison he also has won a, pro- a award for his publicity campaign but the two of them together Amazing. just uh, just did a phenomenal job but it were not only in a kind of you know as the book was coming out and um you know a really creative and kind of ambitious campaign um, when all of that was happening, but also when, when Tori was then longlisted for the Women's Prize and there was a whole big furore around that, which I'm sure you know all about, we all we had to act really quickly and carefully think and think about how to protect our author, stand up for our author and celebrate our author all at the same time and do that in a very sort of rapidly changing social media um, atmosphere that, that was highly charged. And I think the two of them just... They just instinctively knew what to do and they did it really carefully and always with the author's well-being at, at the forefront of what they were doing, which was wonderful. I'm very lucky to work with them. On that, on that, on that warm note, perhaps uh, 
time for us to say thank you to you as well hannah for um yeah such a brilliant conversation and such um thoughtful oh, and articulate pleasure. answers <laughs> my pleasure I hope, did we cover it did we cover everything you wanted to i think so yeah okay, okay. Oh, well i really enjoyed it and sorry my voice is a bit croaky. i've sort of lost my voice a bit this week so i hope it i can i sound sounded clear enough it sounded great. It's definitely edging towards Mariella Frostrup. Let's oh, well, that would be nice. Yeah. Octavia, I'd rather, rather Octavia oh, no. than, than Mariella. We're, yeah. we're all aiming yeah. for Octavia, but one day. Hannah, and thank you so much, Sam. And to So as well, um, who I neglected to mention in the in the intro. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, wonderful boss, always making sure to <laughs> thank the staff for the hard work they do. Oh, Dan, always looking for a reason to stick the knife in. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm delighted to be able to provide you an opportunity every now and then. <laughs> um, so we've got some more stuff cooking, both in the shop and with the podcast. Yeah, Dan, tell us about um, Antiquarian Books. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes, yes, yes. So we have started a new Instagram account. Follow us. Uh, there we'll be showcasing a lot of the kind of rarer end of things that we are selling on our second-hand section. Um, we are going to be adding listings twice a week. We've got some really, really cool old books to be listing, so do give us a follow. That's Curly Fish Deep Cuts, and I must say that's pretty name for a rare book yeah, business. Yeah, it is, yeah. We might even have a laugh on there every now and then. <laughs> you never know. Um, but yeah, there's we, we did a house clearance um, yeah. a, a couple of weeks ago and yeah, it's always a, a fascinating thing to do um, because you get a sense of a person's whole life in their books and mm -hmm. as we've been going through them, yeah, it's really moving to see their interests kind of unfold in that way. So a lot of those, you'll, you'll, you'll start to see that on the Instagram. Yeah, it is. Indeed. We also wanted to talk about our indie book subscription, uh, which is going to be, uh, which we'll be featuring on our next podcast. <laughs> yeah, drum roll. Thank you. <laughs> uh, which is Variations by Juliet Jake. Whee! Whee! So, I may will be talking to her mm -hmm. about um, her debut collection, which is uh, the work in many years um, and was her PhD, part of her PhD thesis. And it's a really fantastic collection um, of stories. So, we're absolutely thrilled to be featuring that mm -hmm. this month. Um, so watch out for that. Wicked. And I don't think we have anything else to report. Do you have anything else to report? Nothing happens Football's to me, on. Football's yeah. on. It's coming home. First, what I've heard. <laughs> the word on the streets is it's coming home. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people. Take it easy. <laughs>